Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. And this is another one of those episodes where I'm just going to be talking to you for about half an hour or so. The topic that I want to deal with is how do you know if something is funny? Okay, there's no tried and true method and probably the best, although it is still unreliable, the best way of knowing whether or not something is funny is whether an audience laughs, whether it evokes actual laughter. And that is one of the reasons, it's actually, I would say, the main reason why I prefer multi-camera shows over single-camera shows. Now, again, to review, a multi-camera show is shot live in front of a studio audience. So in other words, a studio audience of 200 people are brought onto a soundstage and the sitcom is played out like a play and four cameras are capturing the action and they're moving around all of the time, but still it is basically filming a play. A single camera show is a lot like a movie. There is just one camera and the camera will move around. So you have a lot more freedom with a single camera show. You can go outside, you can go to all kinds of different places because all you need to do is just bring that one camera. You don't need to bring bleachers with you. The problem with a single camera show is that you don't get any feedback. So you film something and you look at the dailies and the producers decide whether or not they think it's funny. And oftentimes with single camera shows, and we've seen this in the ratings, all of these niche shows, a lot of times what you will find is that the the show is only funny to the producer's friends, you know, that they have a very niche sense of humor and their friends find the show funny, but the general population does not. With a multi-camera show, you bring in 200 strangers and you don't necessarily know how old they are, their gender, their race, what they had for dinner, but you have to make these 200 people laugh. You are really held accountable. And as a result of that, I think a lot more effort is put into making sure 
that these shows are, in fact, genuinely funny. Now, another thing, when you're on the stage and you do get that feedback, you do have the opportunity, if something doesn't work, to fix it on the fly. And oftentimes, comedy writers will talk about having alts, in other words, alternative jokes, either at the ready or they will huddle and try to come up with a joke. You do a scene and a joke dies, and again, you can just redo the scene. So all of the writers will gather in a huddle and they'll try to come up with a brand new joke to take the place of the one that didn't work. If you're in a single camera show and you have a joke that lays an egg, (laughs) there it is. On national television, you have no real chance to fix it. The problem, however, with being able to do these alts is that you can use it as a crutch. And as a result, the scripts are a little half-baked when they go to the stage. And so, yeah, the writers are fixing things on the fly, but it's very tiring for the audience. It's also expensive because you have to redo the scene over and over again. It's oftentimes better to really try to have that script fine-tuned and ready to go when the audience is there. Let them laugh at the first take. Let them laugh at the second take. Maybe there's a line or two in the second take that you change, but basically it remains funny that's a big help. Take a look at Friends. Now, I have to say, at the end of the day, Friends did a great job. But if you were there for a filming, oh my God. See, usually for the filming of a multi-camera show, you get there at like 7 and you're out at 9, 9.30. And then after the audience leaves, if there are some other pickups that need to be done, then that's done without the audience. But on Friends, they would start at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And here's the thing. They would end at 2 in the morning. So you're saying, well, what audience is going to sit there for 10 hours and watch Friends, even though they love Friends, 10 hours? My God. Well, what they eventually did, and you can get away with this when you have a super mega hit show, they had two audiences. They would have an audience that would come in at 4 o'clock and they would stay till about Eight, and once they were exhausted, they would be swept out and a new audience would come in at 9 or 10 and stay until the end. Well, that's great if you're friends. That's great if you're Seinfeld or if you're Frasier or Cheers. But if you're some new multi-camera show, people aren't going to sit there for 10 hours. And the problem is if you just keep doing the same scene over and over and over again, you're going to burn out the audience. So by making sure that you got good jokes in scene one, by the time you get to scene four, nothing works because nobody's laughing because everybody is too exhausted. So 
I always feel that, yeah, it's a nice thing to be able to switch out a joke here and there, but basically you want to go in with your best show. Okay, here's the truth about audiences. Sometimes they can be good. Sometimes they can be bad. The first season of Cheers, I did the warm-up, and I would have an opening spiel, which was really about four or five minutes, and I had all these jokes in there, and I could tell by the reaction to the spiel, because it was the exact same spiel week after week after week, I could tell some weeks weren't great, other weeks, death. So I knew by 7.10 at night whether or not we had a good audience, and I was always right. And at least I was able to go up to the cast and give them a heads up and say, uh, guys, it's not you. <laughs> we just happen to have a, a bad house tonight. Or you could say, you got a hot house tonight. Have fun. And actors really do feed off the energy of the audience. So if you have a good audience, if the stuff is working, then you're going to get better performances. But that is just a sidelight. Other factors, air conditioning. You can't believe how important that is. If you have a hot stage or if you're sitting in a hot theater, laughs go away. You just get tired. You just fall asleep. Even though I don't like to be cold, whenever I have a show or I have a play, I make sure that it is cold in the room. David Letterman, anybody who's ever been to an episode of the David Letterman show can tell you that it was a meat locker in that studio. He kept that thing so unbelievably cold, but he did it on purpose. The day and time is also a very big factor. Back in 1980, my partner David Isaacs and I decided as an experiment to write a series of one-act plays, four one-act plays, all in a different comic style. And we put it together, and it was an evening of theater. And we got a small equity waiver theater to produce it. We rehearsed this thing, and we had opening night, which was a Friday, and it was playing great. Everything was working and it was getting laughs. And the last piece, which was about a 45-minute one act, was a farce. And, I mean, people running in and out of doorways and all kinds of craziness. It was a typical farce. So people are laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing. And all of a sudden, with like 20 minutes to go until the end, they stopped. The laughter died, and it basically stayed dead all the way to the end. Well, David and I were gobsmacked. We could not understand what happened. So we looked at the script, and we said, well, let's not rewrite yet because we have no idea why it doesn't work. Let's do it tomorrow night, and let's really pay attention to just when and why the audience suddenly stops laughing. So we did. And on that Saturday night performance, 
started out the same, laugh, 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 laugh. But this time, they laughed all the way to the end. So we thought, well, okay. First of all, woo. And secondly, okay, we just had a bad house on Friday night. So whatever. Next Friday night, same thing happened. With about 15, 20 minutes to go in the play, the audience just pooped out. But on Saturday night, they laughed all the way through until the end. And you come to figure out, well, okay, it's Friday night. It's the end of the week. People are tired. They've been working all week. Saturday, they've had a chance to relax a little bit. Probably it's easier to drive to the theater. There's not as much traffic. You can have a leisurely dinner. You can enjoy the evening a lot more on a Saturday night than you can on a Friday night. Now, multi-camera shows are usually filmed either on a Friday night or a Tuesday night. Guess which night we always scheduled our shows when David and I were showrunners? Tuesday. You bet. Because you get better audiences. It's the middle of the week. It's something that they're looking forward to. You have better houses than on Friday night when they tend to be tired. Oh, I will say this about uh, elderly audiences, and this brings up another point. (laughs) Sometimes if people don't laugh, it does not mean that they're not enjoying your show or they don't find it funny. When I had a play at the Falcon Theater in Los Angeles, my play A or B a few years ago, we had a week of previews. And during the midweek previews, and it's a subscription theater, during the midweek previews, you basically had elderly people. They paid less money. And so there was one performance. It was a Thursday night. And I don't think there was anybody in the audience who was under 111. I mean, there were more walkers and oxygen tanks and things in the theater. It was unbelievable. So Cass comes out and starts performing the play. Death. Absolute death. No one is laughing. Not a single laugh in the first act. So I go back to the cast during intermission and I try to leaven the situation a little bit by saying, here's the problem. You guys are not holding for laughs. And they laughed and they said, look, we looked out of the audience. We saw what that was. And so we're just treating this as a run through. When the show was over, I was talking to the house manager and I said, oh, my God, that was a nightmare. And he said, oh, what are you talking about? They loved it. I said, how could they love it? Nobody laughed, not even once. He said, at intermission, nobody left. He says, you would be surprised. We have shows where it's intermission and there is a mass exodus. So the fact that they didn't laugh did not mean that they didn't enjoy it, didn't find it funny, Nobody left at intermission. And, hey, for a writer, is there really a greater goal 
than to keep an audience all the way through to the end. While we're on the subject of the theater, this is something that all playwrights know. It's aggravating, but it's reality. And that is this. Certain lines that get big laughs one night will get nothing the next, and other lines which didn't do well one night will all of a sudden get a giant reaction. And you just don't know why. I mean, yes, there are certain lines that you know are almost bulletproof. You know, if you're doing The Odd Couple and there's the line, you know, it took me 15 minutes to figure out that F.U. stood for Felix Unger. Uh, Yeah, you're going to get a laugh everywhere with that line. But a lot of other lines that, like, work 90% of the time, all of a sudden, one night, they don't work. And again, going back to A or B, we had a situation like that where there was one line that consistently got a huge roar every single night. This one particular night, it was a good crowd. They were certainly laughing. This one joke, death. And you're going, wait, how how did 130 people, for whatever reason, not laugh at something that everybody else laughed at many times? It's just a weird phenomena of the theater. Other factors, of course, are the performances, okay? You got to be able to hear the actors. And this is another problem I find in television where people mumble lines. You need to be able to hear the lines. Also, it is important for the actors to hold for laughs for a couple of reasons. Number one If you are lucky enough to get a laugh, enjoy it, okay? Take the laugh and enjoy it. And audiences will laugh more when they feel they have permission to laugh. And they have permission to laugh when they hear other people laughing. Okay, that's number one. And number two, once you start talking through the laughs, then all of a sudden the laughs stop because people will stop laughing for fear that they're going to miss something. So you really are shooting yourself in the foot if you don't wait for laughs. Here's another truism of comedy. It changes over time. It really does. I had a feature a few years ago on my blog where I did comedy tests. And what I did is I took YouTube segments of classic sitcoms and I asked the audience do you find this funny I took uh, an episode of the honeymooners from the 50s a hysterical piece at least to me where uh, Ralph Cramden was trying to play golf I also did the famous taxi scene where Reverend Jim is taking his driver's exam And he asks the rest of the cabbies, what does the yellow light mean? And they say, slow down. And he goes, what does the yellow light mean? They go, slow down. 
What does the yellow light mean? Well, this script, by the way, written by Glenn and Les Charles, played unbelievably funny in front of the audience. In fact, the director, Jim Burroughs, just kept having him do it again and again, like way beyond when you think the joke is over. And the audience was in stitches. So I featured that thing. And then I also featured a later piece, a great uh, physical bit of comedy with David Hyde Pierce uh, setting the living room on fire from Frasier. Well, most people hated the honeymooners. Most people went like, what? I don't get that at all. And I can sort of figure out, okay, it's from the 1950s. It's a long time ago, black and white. But what surprised me was how many people did not respond to the taxi scene. And that was a scene I thought, okay, well, that's bulletproof. No, they really didn't get it. Most people got the Frasier scene. That was physical comedy. And God, David Hyde Pierce is so funny. How can you not laugh at David Hyde Pierce? When we write these shows, honestly, we're not thinking... Boy, do you think in 40 years from now people are going to be watching this show on their phone and they're going to be laughing at these jokes? We'd be paralyzed if we did. You know, you write a comedy show hoping that you're going to get a laugh a week from Tuesday when you film it and you hope it is still funny two weeks later when it airs. You're not thinking about 40 years down the line. So again, how can you tell if something is funny? Well, it's one of the reasons why you have a lot of writing partners in comedy. Because it does help if you're with a partner who you trust that you can pitch something and you're not in a vacuum. If he thinks it's funny and you have faith in his judgment, then you have a little more faith. You're on a little more solid ground if you decide to go with that. Also, I would say let your friends see your script. Again, they have to be friends, though, that you trust. Your mother is always going to love your stuff. What about your friends? If you're in a writing group, that helps. Also, arrange for a table reading. And I, I say this a lot. You got to hear it. You got to hear it. And if you can get some actor friends or even some friends of yours who can sort of act, have them sit around a table and just read the script out loud. You will learn so much. And you can invite some people if you want. Now, We've established that an audience is not the end-all and be-all as to whether or not something is funny, but if they do laugh, that's a really good sign. So at the end of the day, how do you know if something is funny? Uh, You don't 
really? I mean, look at Neil Simon. Look at all the great comedy plays that he has written. Think about the thousands of fantastic jokes that Neil Simon has written. And yet, when his show is in rehearsal and when his show is in preview, he is rewriting constantly. You know, you would think Neil Simon might say, look, uh, I've been doing this for a million years. Uh, I wrote The Odd Couple. Uh, If the audience doesn't laugh, there's something wrong with you because I'm Neil Simon, for God's sakes. No, if something doesn't work, he rewrites it, and that's what we all do. You know, we have our best professional judgment, but beyond that, we don't really know. In general, though, I find that the things that do hold up are things that are universal, things that are relatable. If you're doing pop culture references, then you're going to have a short shelf life. But if you write about human behavior, human behavior has not changed down through the ages. And it's why Shakespeare comedies remain funny. Human behavior doesn't change. So if you're trying to hedge your bet a little bit, I would say lean in that direction. That's probably why certain shows like The Dick Van Dyke Show will endure forever. It's why MASH will hopefully endure forever. So that's my rant on what is funny and how you know if something is funny, good luck. If you have any other suggestions, feel free to email me. My uh, email address, as always, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Ken Levine. I'm on Instagram. Not enough of you have been signing up for my Instagram uh, account, Hollywood and Levine. Our thanks to Adam Butler and Howard Hoffman, and I will see you again next week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.